title of uh, tonight's uh, presentation is the Shuva of myself, for myself, and to myself, which of course will be a takeoff on the Gettysburg Address. Um, now I'd like to try to take the approach of the Chavos uh, to uh, try to allow ourselves a new view as if we're starting over again each time. Uh, now the abundance of Maya Mekomos should not be mistaken as the indication that this is meant to be a sheer based on Svarim. It's meant to be more of some kind of a journey which we're trying to do step by step. So uh, I'll try to pause along the way for any and all reaction. Now, of course, the title, I imagine, uh, has evoked uh, some curiosity. What does it mean, tshuva of myself? Is there tshuva that's not of myself? After all, I have to do it. No one else can do it for me. So how can I do tshuva without it being of myself? For myself, Sounds a little bit like uh, for my own benefits, as if like uh, I want to do it for my own gain, not lishma. Now, of course, sometimes we need a little motivation. Lishma motivation could always be helpful, but uh, ideally, we'd like to do things for their proper own good purpose. So, what does it mean then, tshuva for myself? And uh, of course, last but not least, what does it mean, tshuva, to myself? Am I somewhere else? And I have to find me? Am I not with myself somehow? How can I uh, be returning to myself? Where am I before that happens? So just to make a start, I'd like to share uh, a recent personal experience um, against the backdrop of something that was already uh, brought to the table uh, on Tishchevov. It's good to uh, look back, which is uh, an idea that Avdesla presents of uh, the profound effect of the first Chetim Adam Harishan and how, in one way, it impacts us very significantly. Chaim Velazhin explains that before the Chet, Adama Rishon was Kulo Yosha. He had no personal internal inclination towards anything but Taib. He had free will, but anything that was not Yosha was purely external to Adama Rishon. And it was still possible somehow for that Chet to take place. And um, Dessler. Uh, discusses at length to try to explain that. But essentially, at the starting point, Adamarisha was Kulo, innately a being of Yashus and purity. After the hate, he became, as Rechaim Velazhin describes it, a tremendous mixture within the person and all the Olamos of Taivara. And one uh, result of that. Desler describes it is that the the Yetzirahara aspect of the person, the physical aspect of the person, and maybe sort of elaborating or embellishing a little bit, becomes so integrated, we identify with that so strongly that we see those desires as those that are our own desires. We say, we think to ourselves, I want all the material good things. When it comes to the Yitzhah our moral obligations, when our consciousness is speaking to us, it says to us, 
you have to do this. You have to do what's right. And I had a, quite a fascinating experience with this. Uh, a few days before Rosh Hashanah, just when I woke up in the morning, I'm uh, hearing the, the, the thoughts in my head, and it says, you know, Rosh Hashanah is coming, you have to do tshuva. And I caught it, I said, oh my goodness, here it is. Somebody's saying to me, Rosh Hashanah is coming, you have to do tshuva. I didn't think, I'd like to do tshuva. It's time, let's go, let's get, let's get on the move. It was, you have to do tshuva. And of course, that could be the answer to speaking on the outside, as Desmond describes it. But that um, kind of a voice can come from a lot of places. I think if we try to identify, we may discover that there are a lot of uh, sources for that voice in our head that's talking to us and telling us, you have to do tshuva. It could be our parents, it could be our babe, it could be society as a whole. That's telling us all kinds of ways, you know, speeches, emails, posts, magazine, newspaper articles, blaring headlines, Hashem is coming, you have to do tshuva. But what does that amount to? That it's not experienced as my own personal desire. I, I relate to it as I have to get myself to do this, which is not a very good situation. That's essentially a situation of conflict. I'm seeing myself as, you know, this uh, poor innocent guy here, and somebody is telling me, or I'm telling myself, that I have to do this. But it's essentially, I'm trying to force myself, which is, again, not ideal because there's conflict. It's also lacking the best kind of motivation where it would be my own personal desire. So the question really is, can we find that maybe we do have our own personal desire that may be well hidden, well buried? And maybe we can get it out in the open and see what we can find. So in this, in this uh, framework, I like, we should ask ourselves, close our eyes, ask ourselves, what is really our true heart's desire for ourselves in life? What do we really want? There could be a lot of things that we want, or that we feel we need. But if we ask ourselves and we listen very carefully to the answer, what will we discover is what we really want in life? Now let everybody try that out for a moment. It's a, that's a hard one, but uh, to go from left field, don't we say Kaifunai say actually I'm a Rotsani? Um, okay, um, like, like I said, there are a lot of Torah sources that relate to a lot of things, and uh, there is a place to use them. But right now, I'm trying to take the more sort of um, personal, individual route. I would like if we could try to discover it within ourselves. What is in our heart of hearts our most powerfully felt desire for ourselves in life? Um, and I believe that um, if we do find the time and calm and space to discover that, what we'll discover is that what we truly want in life is close, personal, deep, 
connection and relationship to the people that are the important people in our life. Of course, our children were married, our spouse, even our parents. Um, the friends that we think it's possible to have that with. And perhaps even with the Rebbe and the Talmud, the people that the Rambam gives us the sample of the highest level of friendship and which the Torah compares to a father and son. I think that's our real most deep and powerful and truest heart's desire. For some of us, it should be a connection relationship that has meaning and purpose with it. But that could maybe vary a little bit among people. And uh, I think there's good basis in Torah sources that this is a very powerful desire of ours. But we also have to ask the question, what is the real source of that desire? What is that desire coming from? What is the nature of that need? Is it some kind of a, uh, like emotional need, like other physical needs? Or is it of a truly spiritual source? Is it really coming from the neshama? That is, of course, linked together with the guf. And the two are not a contradiction. It could be a great natural benefit and need, but it could also be, at the same time, stemming from the true essence of the neshama. And I think we have good basis that it stems from the neshama and that it is a very powerful desire and need. Because if we see that, as we mentioned last time, a Hillel uses this to explain to the Geir the single fundamental principle of the whole Torah. <coughs> it says, that which is so painful to you, so unbearable to you, that your friend should turn away from your words, from your suggestions, from your plan, from your request. That's the way to understand our relationship with Hashem as one of the closest friendship. Of course, that could not have meant that if your friend ignores your words, you're just insulted, your ego is injured, because that has no place in relationship with Hashem. It has to mean that that friendship is so valuable to you, so precious to you, so meaningful to you. That pain is so powerful. That can give you an understanding of how valuable that relationship is. That's why when it's diminished or is disrespected and not developed properly as you were hoping, that's why it's so painful. And that's why it could serve as a means of understanding our relationship with Hashem, which hopefully we'll get to. But it has to be a spiritual nature for it to be a valid mashal. It's not just coming to give us some kind of illustration. Hillel defines it. This is one and the same. And we find the same thing in Rebbein Nebuchai, where it explains Shema Melech's effort to empower Klal to avoid Gezel, to restore and repair the Aver of Gezel. Where he says that a person should understand that no matter what he has amassed, his life will be better if he gives it back. He will enjoy the meager amount that he has left afterwards without stealing, after returning everything that he took, more than all the 
the lavish abundance that he has that was dishonest. Why? Because that's with closeness to Hashem, and he brings a proof to it. Look, I can show you from real life. Look how a person will enjoy the most meager meal in the company of his friends far more than the most lavish feasts in the company of people that are not okay with him and he's not okay with them. So how much more so with regard to our relationship with Hashem? So obviously, this is of a spiritual nature. If it could be utilized as a means of judging and understanding and proving and discovering what we have in terms of our relationship with Hashem, it has to be of a similar nature. It has to be the Hanav, the Nefesh. Shomal is showing you see the Hanav, the Nefesh is the true great Hanav that a person has. And here's like one glimpse into it, one example of it. So, so too, if you'll live with honesty, you'll have the Hanav, Nefesh, it will be a much better, greater Hanav. So, it has to be stemming from the Nefesh that's this desire. Okay, that's one. One thought, one step. Now the question is, what about a situation where I don't have the personal connection with another person, but I have a situation where I do something very good for them. I'm helpful to somebody in a very good way but maybe in a way where they don't even know about it, to be able to appreciate it, to express their gratitude, to create the connection that would be forthcoming if they could know what I'm doing for them. Or another situation where I'm doing what's right, what's honest, what's truthful, without anybody necessarily knowing about it, the customer might not know the difference whether I put in my full good effort for them or I do only maybe half or three quarters of a job. But I respect their financial investment to me and I do what's right for them or any similar kind of situation where no one else knows, only I know, as we find in the Torah, the peak Yerushalayim is where no one else knows that I'm doing the right thing. So, how do I feel about that? I'm hoping that you've had the experience to know that it has a very powerful, good feeling. So, of course, the question is, what is the source of that good feeling? What makes feels so good when we do what's right and we do what's good when even no one else knows or is thanking us. So, of course, there can be the consideration that I'm pleased with myself for making a good choice. But I imagine that's much more than that. And, of course, we can see this from Rebbeinu B'chayeh because he describes the honest lifestyle in terms of Avas Hashem Yerosa. This will be the great pleasure of being an honest person. Honesty is Mr. Sichlis, he says. Everyone understands that. Even someone who's a non-believer or not even Jewish, he knows honesty is correct. But he still describes it as Yeros Hashem Ba'ahavosa. How is this love of Hashem? Because this is the love of what is really the meters of Hashem. And that's what the Neshama is experiencing. The Neshama is experiencing the connection to Hashem being actualized, being lived with actively. That's why it's so good. And we see this very clearly from the Rambam uh, in Megillah where he says that a person has a choice 
of um, how to increase his spending, which potentially could be a lot, to achieve the highest simcha of Purim. He could increase Mishloach Monos, give to all the people in town, to give very generously to all his friends. Beautiful Mishloach Monos. He can increase his Suda. Of course, we can well imagine what that could be. Or he can increase Matanas Levionim. And the Rambam says he should increase the Matanas Levionim because that is the greatest, most glorious simcha to gladden the hearts of those that are downtrodden, that are broken. The Yisomim, the Almanist, and the Geri. Now, of course, in the, in the ideal situation, I don't even know who I'm giving to. And, of course, they don't know who they're receiving from. But the mere fact that I know that this significant amount of money that I am giving is going to be uplifting the hearts, is going to be healing broken hearts, will be picking up people that are down. That is so powerfully gratifying. That is what the Rambam calls the most glorious simcha. And what is the reason that this simcha is so powerful, so glorious? Says the Rambam, because through this, a person is like Hashem. About whom the Nabi says, Hashem uplifts those that are brokenhearted and downtrodden. Rach Shvalim, does the person need to know that Pasuk? He didn't learn that Pasuk in Yeshaya, and he didn't know that he is becoming like Hashem through that action. Is it not going to work for him? I don't, I don't believe it's not going to work for him. It will also work for him. As long as he places his heart to be aware of what he's doing, he will experience that tremendous satisfaction, joy, gratitude, beauty, because he is connecting to Hashem. He is being like Hashem in a uniquely direct way, as the Pasuk describes it. So that will be his truly greatest possible sin. What if I was saving the whales? I'm showing Rachmanus. If you look and say for Achinuch, by the mitzvah of Baltashchis, You'll see amazing, amazing things. Amazing, amazing things. The person who loves good, Torah teaching us to love good, to want success for everyone, to want brachavatzlach, and the tzaddikim that love people and love their hatzlacha, they value everything that could bring some kind of a bracha, some kind of a purpose, some kind of benefit, and they will not waste a mustard seed. Because they love taiva bracha vatzlacha, like Hashem. So if the whales have a place on earth to contribute to the completion of the bria as Hashem put in place, yes, it's worthwhile to save the whales. To save people before the whales, but we can also save the whales. We should definitely save the whales. I'm not, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying about the people who are all into the tikkun haolam, people who are constantly doing acts of rachmonis on some I level or the other. I'm not saying one over the other, not over the right. other. Right. There, are many, right. there, are many, right. there are many, many levels. It seems from the Rambam that this example is of a uniquely direct level. Of course, it encompasses Hashem's Rachmanus, Hashem's Anova. He is with those that are lowly. Maramukadosh, Ezdaka. It shows, of course, Hashem's Chesed, but it seems like it's specifically directed at lifting up those that are downtrodden. But that's not our main focus. The real uh, point I was just trying to take out is that this shows us that the source of that good feeling that we have is because the neshama is experiencing its connection to Hashem in that, in that process. I may not be consciously aware of it, and stands to reason if I am consciously aware of it, it could be even stronger. But it may not be contingent 
this seems quite clear that it's not contingent on that. And this is the ways of Hashem. This is the truth of the Neshama. The Neshama is designed to be a being of truth and kindness and goodness and uplifting those who are downtrodden and brokenhearted. Because it is the Chilakalaka it has within it. And by its basic nature and by its true potential to connect to all the good that is of Hashem himself. Okay. Now maybe one more step. That will be pretty much there. This is all still relating to things that we understand with the human intellect. And even someone who is not religious could relate to, could appreciate. Can it be experienced even by those parts of the Torah that we would not know of our own human intellect? That we need the Torah to reveal to us our good to do. So, if you had time to look at some of the sources on the sheet, I hope you'll have an answer to that question. Okay. Let's get, let's get down to it. Remember, let, let's just remember, the source of the goodness of all those things that we do understand and the cause of it being experienced as good is what they are connecting us to Hashem. Everything that is good, Ramchal says, is stemming from this, the root, the source of all that is good. What is that? The goodness that is of Hashem Himself, that He has revealed to us in the creation. That is the source of all good, all truth, all kindness, all compassion, all uplifting of the broken. It is all connecting back to the source of Shlemus. What about all the other mitzvahs of the Torah? The ones that we need the Navi to reveal to us. Are they essentially different? No, they're not essentially different. <laughs> they're only different in the sense that we need the Torah to reveal it to us because we could not know it on our own. But once it has been revealed to us by the Navi, the Rambam calls them the, the Midos Tovos, which are the mitzvos, and the Midos Rose, which are the Averis, because all the mitzvos are nothing but, as the Ramchal explains, aspects of Hashem's Shlemus. They all stem from the root of all good, which is Hashem Himself. And they are all means, and they have no other purpose there to connect to that source of all good. That's why they're given to us. And that is the definition of their goodness, that they are the means to connect to Hashem because they are stemming from that source of true good, which is Hashem. So how should we view the mitzvahs? How can we view the mitzvahs? Okay, let's take a step back and ask ourselves, how do we view the source of the mitzvahs? How do we view Hashem? What do we know of Hashem? We know of Hashem, ultimate, infinite goodness. Where do we see it most obviously? From the entire purpose of creation, as Ramchal says, which was for what purpose? Only one purpose to bestow the good, the maximum good that can be bestowed. That is the good that is of Hashem Himself. But that is the purpose of creation, to bestow good to others. How much? Nothing less than the maximum that they could possibly receive, which 
which is even the good that is of Hashem himself. Of course, when we say that, we have to faint, and I always say we have to faint, but we don't faint, we should faint. But it's exciting to know we should faint. That it is possible that we can connect to the good that it is of Hashem's true essence. Hashem has made that possible. That is infinite good. And so to all the leaders of Hashem, His truth, His compassion, His humility, they are all infinite. So our recognition of Hashem is enough for us to have a love for Hashem. And all the mitzvos are connections, are outgrowths, are all stemming from that root good. So then they are all beloved. They are all aspects of Hashem's perfection, of Hashem's true goodness. So of course, we should love them, we should embrace them, we should dance with them. They are all aspects of what is true good and means of connecting to that true good which we know we can experience in a very powerfully good way, even here and now. Except we are used to thinking of the mitzvahs as obligations, commandments, and forcings of ourselves to be obedient. But once we discover, or once we try to look from Hashem's perspective, He doesn't want obedience. He wants to give us the maximum good wants to give us a means to connect to him. And these are all the critically necessary ways, each one contributing in its own way. Then, of course, we will choose them for their own innate goodness, because they are, by definition, aspects of innate goodness and truth, because they are of Hashem. So then our doing the mitzvot is able to be in a manner that represents, that stems from our love for Hashem. We love the source of all good because it is so good, because he is so good, and therefore we love everything that is an outgrowth of that source of good. And we want to engage in it. We want to embrace it. We want to fill ourselves with it. We want to connect to it. We couldn't have known it on our own. That's okay. Has been revealed to us. Try to think of an example of something that we couldn't know is right. You know, we have to try to think of an example of something in life that we've discovered is proper, but we might not have realized on our own. And the Torah reveals it to us. Oh, this is a midatayba. It's escaping me. <laughs> so, so we'll then follow that all the mitzvot will be a cause of simcha, like the Magid Mishnah says. The, the most powerful simcha that the Rambam describes, which he calls Avoda Gedola, that's coming from the love Hashem who commanded the mitzvot is because he recognizes them as innately good. He's not experiencing them as being forced to do it. He's doing it gladly, happily, knowing that this is truth, goodness, innately good, an opportunity to connect to that goodness. So um, where does that bring us? When it comes to tshuva, let's try to figure it out. If we have this awareness, so then I think we wouldn't need any um, outside commanding, outside demanding for us to want to do tshuva. We want, it's truly good. We have an innate appreciation for it. We have the capacity to, to appreciate it, to value it, to love it, to rejoice in it. As we know we experience aspects of it in life. And now we're discovering that's what all of the tyrant is. So of course we would want of ourselves to connect to all the mitzvahs. And of course it will be for ourselves, but it won't be of a selfish nature because 
it's uh, it's only good. It cannot be anything but good. How can a person do something good and it won't be experienced as good? Like Shlomo says to the Ganav, give it back, you'll have a better life. Is he trying just to bribe him into doing what's right? As if to say, and if it would be worse, then you shouldn't do it? Of course not. But it cannot be anything but experience in a pleasurable way. Because it will be honesty. It will be closest to Hashem. It will be with the love of Hashem, meaning with the connection to Hashem's goodness. So, of course, it will be good. And that will be the, the, the truest means of fulfillment of it. And then, of course, if we realize this clearly enough, we'll realize that this is our own true desire. And that our own self is the one that says, do grab, connect, engage, embrace the mitzvahs. All truth, all goodness is good. It's good for everybody. It's only good. And maybe last but not least, we have to just, you know, recognize that amazingly, so to speak, at the end of the day, recognize that the way it's described by the Torah, our connection to Hashem is described by the Torah how, as what? As French. It's described by the Torah, starting from, from all the way back, from Tillich. From Mishlei, to Hillel, who said to the Geir, don't damage the close relationship that you have with Hashem. Enhance it, uplift it, actualize it. How can you do anything to it? How can you want to damage it, minimize it, when you know how much it hurts you when you lose it with a person? How much more so with Hashem? You more menachas. You did this. You did this. You did this. What does Rashi say? It means kira v'dibur, closeness. What does the Ramachal say? All your neshlemos are what? Oras panevizbarach v'kirvasal. Hashem's shining presence. Rashi and Nasa on your Hashem panevelachas says Hashem will show you panevseichakaris. It's like Glad, almost like laughing, punning voice, shining. Before it says, we shouldn't think it's only in Olamahaba, where, of course, it's Ayla Rasa, no Malach, no barrier. I can imagine the, the maximum time that could be possibly experienced. Even Olamahaza will experience it. The Kirvasa and his closeness. All Yonishlamas is just all the means of closeness to Hashem and is defined as such. So that heart's desire for true close connection, even though we cannot really relate to it with Hashem in a tangible way, but we can recognize that this is how the Torah is describing it. So somewhat of a, not just an, an imaginary form, not just for a feel-good purpose, but this is the Tyra's description of it. Such a closeness that can only be described, that Hashem is willing to describe, that His humility allows that it should be described and given to us to experience in such a way of friendship, the closest friendship. So this will be the real tshuva, like the Sephardim says, the avas tshuva, the love of Hashem's goodness. Everything in the Torah is Hashem's goodness. It's all what we love. We love goodness. We enjoy goodness. Wherever we do it, we enjoy it. That's all the Torah. How can we stop dancing? I don't know. You have to have a nigun that doesn't let us stop dancing. <laughs> right now, my favorite one is Barak Shema. But, but Naftali Kemp is Sechazena's competition.
שרנו כמה, שאני אסבור שמה. אסבור אשורה בפיתוחה, תמיד תמיד מלא And if you'll wonder, so what's going to be with your session? Such Ava, how can you possibly have Euro? It's going to knock out the Euro. Chazal were concerned about that. The Maral over says, that's why the Mishnah ends up, because he said before, shouldn't be doing it for the price, you should do it out of Ava. So if you have Ava Hashem, maybe we'll lose the Euro. So we have to be aware not to lose the Euro. But not to worry, the Rabbim in Yara Chazaka, in Hukhaz, because he said, yeah, Torah, Perg Beis, says the same understanding that produces the Ava, the same recognition of Hashem that comes from seeing his Chachmah, or so too from seeing his Midas, that produces the Ava, which Rabbim Hesefer Mitzvah calls the greatest Tainu, that also produces the Yira. So not to worry, we'll not lose the Yira. Now, of course, all this is hard to imagine if you never had a close personal relationship with a uh, quote-unquote authority figure. I was very fortunate to, to feel at a certain point that she was my best friend. But then I did realize at one point that maybe I was going a little too far and I had to you know, add a little euro. <laughs> I didn't have to tell her every silly joke that came to mind. But uh, it was still very good. So I wish that for all of us to be able to embrace all the good that's within ourselves and to spread it through our entire life and to everyone we come in contact with and to uh, come close to Hashem and to call us well and to uh, have a wonderful time in the process. It's tremendous. Okay, I think... Uh, I think I can pause here. I think I pretty much covered what I was hoping to say. Forgive me for going a little long. But um, uh, right now, any and all reaction is uh, welcome. Yeah, so I have one thing to ask. Um, Please. The perspective that you're describing and the kind of attitude or the way that we should be experiencing what it means to be involved in doing what Hashem wants. Um, and, and when you say should be, be careful, that sounds like you're supposed to. <laughs> we hope to experience. Excuse me. Um, yeah. Does that come from an understanding of each individual, how specific you want to get, each individual discipline, what's just about it? Like, oh, very good. I think the general yes. perspective of like, appreciating this is the people of Hashem, as Hashem is explaining right. to you directly. Yes. Like, right, right. Very, very good question. Um, it seems clear that it's not contingent on the fullness of understanding of the mitzvahs. As we see from the fact that the, the reasons for the mitzvahs were not spelled out in the Torah. However, the Rishayim, that's the sheet that we follow, Rambam, Ramban, do, say for Chinuch, do offer a lot of Chazal, Medrash, many places in the Gemara, do give to us a lot of understanding of mitzvot, which, of course, we should add and try to use to enhance our fulfillment of the mitzvah. The more that you can understand the meaning of Shabbos, the meaning of Tzfilim, the meaning of Tzitzis, of course, it will be experienced in a much fuller way, and it will be all that more impactful upon us and more meaningful experience. But the essential aspect, I don't think, is contingent. When the, when the Mahagam Mishnah says, do the MS because it's MS, do Taib because it's Taib, the mere fact that we know that it's coming from Hashem, there's Hashem's revelation to us of what is Taib, that is enough for us to know that 
this is this is good. Of course, someone who's capable of understanding has only a, a logical obligation to try to understand and not be satisfied with the more simplistic fulfillments, which of course is the ikr. And of course, the chukim we cannot understand fully. Well, the Maral beginning of Chukaisai says um, we can understand the bemiktsas. So even the mitzvahs that are the mile of my understanding, according to the Maral, we can understand it a little bit. So there could be a lot of room to try to gain understanding, while at the same time, we'll never be finished, and we'll always have room for more amelus batayim. That's good. So how would one come to have a higher? appreciate more sophisticated profound appreciation of why it is or the nature of what the tov is that Hashem is directing and explaining through the Torah well we, we, we should utilize this for him that give us that explanation there's a lot in Derech Hashem there's a lot in Mephor Torah of course Sefer HaChinuch even in Midrashim on the, on the parashas of the Torah you know, the, the Medish Rabbah and the bow about Tefillin, it's amazing. Medish is saving his the, the, the king, saving his daughter that was captured, risking his life, making a celebration, telling her to use the uh, ingredients of the of that celebration to make a crown, never to forget it. So it's an expression of so much love. We need to learn as much as we can so that as much as we can Sort of focus on when we do the mitzvahs, who we'll make them the most full experience possible. In the same way, even when we're helping another person, the more that we could appreciate of the good that we're doing for them and how meaningful it is and how powerful it is, it also will be a different kind of experience than if we just do it in a more superficial way. Okay. Anybody wants to give me wants to give me the pleasure of hearing the voice could do so even if they don't have any special question to ask. Is this thing you're describing would that be considered the Yetzer Tov, as opposed to, let's go back to your very very beginning at nine oh one or nine oh two? Yes. So what we're trying to do, very good, very good. What we're trying to do is a sort of make this major switch <laughs> it's no simple accomplishment to turn the inner voice from you have to do what's good into i want what's good because it's good then why isn't it according to everything you just said why isn't it an automatic and why is it such a fight every time like i know you brought down the, the that it right. was that right. time right and very good switched around but lamaisa there should be an automatically very, innate feeling like you question. said you even brought it out yourself that there is a feeling of of you know you're yes. accomplishing but it should yes. be much more than what you're saying yes yes the truth of the matter is that when we when we hear these ideas we can't help but wonder like why is this such a well-kept secret and even when we ourselves learn them they don't become naturally integrated. I can testify to that. Because I've learned them before and found them to be very beautiful, very inspiring. And still I'm waking up before Hashanah and thinking to myself, you know, Hashanah is coming, you have to do tshuva. So obviously it doesn't work so fast. But sometimes we need a little help to gain simcha. And then use that to integrate. So you need the right good one. <laughs> you need to go to the right chasna with kompetisa or some kind of experience that will help you to realize your life is supposed to be a concert. Take it slow. Listen to the bracha. Listen to what we're saying. Baruch ato Hashem. Right here. <laughs> give, us a, give, give ourselves a chance to experience it, to live in the moment like we've heard about in the past and really enjoy the beauty. Um, the Ramam calls it Avoid the the Simcha and Avoid Hashem of Abbas Akhel So obviously, it's not a, 
a simple, easy thing. Uh, it stands to reason, they actually uh, um, forgot to mention this, that even in personal relationships, when effort is needed, it's even more meaningful. When doing the right thing does not come easy, and there's a barrier that we have to overcome, and we're able to overcome the barrier, then we realize that closeness that we have and we create a different kind of closeness. So in a certain sense, it should be sort of forgivable in our minds. That's not natural. Maybe it's designed specifically that this should be requiring a lot of work until it becomes integrated, until it becomes a, a regular mindset. We know, you know, great tzaddikim, great chashma people, they were besimcha. They carried simcha with them. Of course, we don't view ourselves as worthy of such an exalted madrega, but that doesn't mean that we can't have it a little bit. We don't yet know how much. So if we have an understanding that says to us, this really should put me besimcha a lot of the time, then we should give it a chance. And if there are things that are blocking it, then we need to examine that too. Many people may discover that there's a resistance. I'm not worthy. How could I dare hope for myself to have simcha in doing mitzvahs, hanah in doing mitzvahs, take into my psyche, my heart, Hashem loves me with an infinite love, do I, do I deserve that? What have I done to deserve it? Oh, but Hashem doesn't require me to deserve it. That's very novel. That's very unfamiliar. So there could be a lot of work to sort of remove preventions, as we heard a lot about on Tishabah. There's a lot in our mind already that runs counter to this kind of a mindset that I am a being of innate goodness that is worthy to connect, that is capable of connecting it already has the connection and is able to intensify that connection to Hashem and experience it in a powerfully good way. That's, you know, very new to us and it may take a lot of uh, sort of, you know, rethinking things like the Chalas of Lovis recommends us to try to do, to rethink everything, to start from scratch. I can be in here, like a new person. I'm new. I'm starting from scratch. <laughs> okay, it's much easier said than done. But whatever help we need to avoid the barriers, we should employ. And we should allow for ourselves. If anybody uh, looks at the Marimakomos and doesn't see what I see, please bring it to my attention. If you think that I'm just imagining something here, Whatever I think I saw in the Rambam and in the Maral and in the Ramchal and in the Gemara Menachas and in the Bachye, if you won't see it there, please let me know. And if you look at it and you do see it there, you can let me know that too. I would love to hear that. Thing here, or no, whatever time we have left. Um, yes. how does, like, I, have, I have plenty of time. Okay, good. Is that true? Okay, because I have plenty of time. Yeah, so how, not kicking me out. So, how does um, like Limud HaTorah tie into this? Like, oh, yes, Sahara Rossi Torah Tavlan, says. That Torah is revealing to Zahiros, and Zahiros is really an appreciation of what's told, making sure you're doing what's told, understanding Mahua Tovamiti, Mahua Rahamiti, and is what it is. So it's real coming from a desire to be doing what is actually good. Is that what all this is? This what all that is about. That's what it's doing. That's that's what's bringing you to an appreciation of what's told from other things. Like what was that about? 
I'm sure there are many aspects. Now, we do know them, so Sasharim writes, explaining that concept of Moshe Ramach's Lamutov, his Lashon is Beroisai, Drocheha, Etzivu Yeha, Vaz Horoseha, Vada Yisoyer Elatoi. He sees the ways of the Torah, its commandments, its warnings. He will definitely be Nisoyer. I don't think he means in a superficial way. Maybe some aspects, even at a glance, we could see something beautiful. But many of them, it requires some more ear. But then he'll discover, wow, this is amazing. This is so sensitive. This is so complex. The Chazanish the writes that a person for certain parts of Torah can only understand it if he has midas. If he's not refined in his midas, then just pure IQ will not enable him. There'll be a blockage. He'll be prevented from entering into the inner delicate nature of the Svaras HaTayra. So if somebody is able to somehow put his meters aside and does enter in, he'll be discovering something that is so refined, that is so delicate, and so beautiful. Like the Rambam talks about He'll be coming in contact with the Das Hashem in a way that will be the peak pleasure. So of course he'll want to, he'll want to engage in it in any way possible. Won't be satisfied with just learning it, he'll want to actually live it. So of course he will. And besides, you'll have something that will be more pleasurable than all the, all the materialism. Materialism is where he's empty. But if he's becoming blessed with the, the pleasure of wisdom and refinement and sensitivity and truth, Moral says everything in the Torah is yosher and is absolute yosher. Can it be any other way? Not everything can we recognize that intellectually clearly. But that is the true nature of it. So we'll be touching on the power of truth within the person to say, oh, there's something here that is as of a divine nature. This cannot possibly have been made up by any human being. <laughs> That's for sure. But you can even sense the nature of it to some degree. And on occasion, to a very significant degree. That means that the nature of our learning has to be one that allows for that to happen. <sighs> okay, that's not easy, but it's worth, worth the effort. And even, and maybe especially in the, in the area of, of human refinement of Musa, we should be satisfied with nothing less than the kind of a learning that is inspiring us with its beauty. There are some pieces in art often that are potentially quite readily life-altering. The Ashkafa altering. Taras Avram said, any single Ashkafa of the altar, if you got it clear, could be life-altering. Would be life-altering. But <coughs> on our level, could find places where you're like, oh, this is like, okay, new world. So we have to give ourselves a chance. We have to look for that. We have to expect that. In the preparation, you know, there was something, there was something very good. I think I got things a little clearer in the preparation. I have to thank everybody for being so kind to give me the opportunity. But you know, it's, a, it's an ongoing journey. And, and, and Chaos Lover says we can't be satisfied. If we do make some progress, Hashem, then sometime after we have to write to re-examine and say, oh, maybe what I understood till now is still not. Still not what it really is. Like Maral says in, in, in Chokesa, you have to go deeper. And if you got it clear, you have to go deeper. <laughs> it's never ending, Baruch Hashem.
Sometimes we need new sources that can help to shed light on the old ones. That's okay. Okay, if everybody is uh, satisfied, I guess we can pause here. I want to wish everyone a Gemach Simateva, a Bidki Ben Shior, Brachavatzlacha, and especially tremendous Simcha, Oinig, Avas Hashem, and everything good in every way. Thank you very much. Thank you. Moshe, thanks for being here. That's a